Welcome forward. I'm your host, Cassie Betts, on KBLA Talk 1580, and you're listening to Talk Tech to Be Uncut, where technology is the new sexy, black geeks are the new superheroes, and South Central LA is a new tech mecca. On today's episode of Life After Death Part 2, we'll be talking about life after transformative experiences, all about, all about AI and why you should get on board with special guest AI expert and entrepreneur Joshua Armagh. We will also have a ticket giveaway for our L.A. listeners later on in the show for an exclusive screening of Wakanda Forever Wednesday, November 9th, before it opens nationally. So keep it locked for more details. But first, let's get into the tea in tech. What's the tea in tech? Messy Musky buys Twitter and things get messy, of course. You know, that's, that's what he do. That's what he do. Mass layoffs started on Friday with the Bird Apps workforce of 7,500 slash nearly in half in less than 24 hours. 48 hours, 24 hours, very quickly, it got slashed in half. In half. A class action suit has been filed by employees laid off without proper notice. After taking out a large loan to purchase the site, reportedly $12 billion, which Musk claims he overpaid for, he is under intense pressure to increase Twitter's revenue. The site is currently valued at $25 billion, and he paid $44 billion. I don't know. The math not mathing. The math not mathing. Since Musk's ownership was revealed, there has been more racist tweets. Infuriating. In, these racist tweets are making activist groups mad, like the NAACP, which... They have asked advertisers to stop running ads on the site. So NAACP, not happy about it. They're hitting up uh, advertisers saying, hey, there's all these racist tweets. Basically, uh, white supremacists are really testing the waters now that the change of ownership has happened. Twitter's workplace, once known for being laid back and welcoming, is now being described by staff as cruel and toxic, as Musk is infamous for creating tough and work environments. I even heard, um, I heard a birdie, little birdie told me that they took pictures of Musk sleeping in a sleeping bag. But I don't know, that might have been, that was just hearsay, so that might have been something else. <laughs> but uh, uh, prayers out for all y'all at Twitter. That's that's tough. You know, we make jokes, but this is people's livelihoods. I'm sure y'all will find good gigs elsewhere very soon. Slutty Vegan will be cooking in the metaverse. Aisha Pinky Cole, founder of the popular vegan restaurant chain Slutty Vegan, has filed trademark applications to run her business in the metaverse. Y'all, we got food. In the metaverse, the trademarks cover online retail, virtual food and beverage products, and online ordering services, providing takeout and delivery, NFTs, and other digital digital collectibles. Cole has partnered with numerous major brands, including the Lip Bar and Steve Madden, to create vegan cosmetics and a footwear line. So we're reporting this because y'all better be paying attention. This is a restaurant in the metaverse. Pay attention. Okay, so you gotta you gotta stay up on it. Start reading about it. If you have a restaurant or you own a business, you're going to need to understand uh, how to get into the metaverse. NFTs are coming to Meta. A small number of creators in the U.S. will be the first to test minting and selling NFTs on Instagram, according to a statement from Meta. People can create NFTs on the Polygon blockchain using Meta's digital collectibles toolkit, then sell them either on Instagram. Or off the platform. This is part of Meta's efforts to expand its monetization efforts, its monetization options for creators. 
Well, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, it sounds like they're going to make it easier. I think that's one thing that's kind of kept people from getting NFTs. Is It's not a three-step, you know, how you're supposed to be able to do click, 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 and in three steps you should be able to pop by, purchase, or do whatever you're trying to do online. NFTs are not like that. So maybe this will make it easier, quicker, faster. I'm here for that. Stablecoin pioneer dies mysteriously in Puerto Rico after a chilling tweet. This is kind of crazy, y'all. Nikolai... Mushigian, a 29-year-old technical co-founder of MakerDAO, DAI stablecoin, the biggest decentralized finance protocol and contributor to numerous crypto projects, was found dead in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Friday, October 28th. May he rest in peace. According to a press release, he was dragged by water currents near Condado Beach, which is known for its dangerous currents that have caused several deaths. Beach Patrol recovered his body just hours just hours, y'all, after he posted a chilling tweet that read, and I quote, CIA and Moy- Mossad and Pedo Elite are running some sort of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands. They're going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was a spy. They will torture me to death. That's deep. Then he was found dead shortly thereafter. So that's kind of crazy. This is the highest profile death in tech since John McAfee in 2021, who also had bizarre circumstances surrounding his death. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. Um, it's y'all got to be careful out here. This tech world, the, the beautiful, the beautiful part about this tech space is that you can make a lot of money fast. But the terrible part is when you make a lot of money fast, sometimes people come for you. So you got to be careful. When we come forward, we'll talk tech with AI expert and tech founder Joshua Arma here on Talk Tech to Me Uncut on the unapologetically progressive KBLA Talk 1580. We We are giving ticket giveaways for our LA listeners later on the show for an exclusive screening of Wakanda Forever here in LA, Wednesday, November 9th at The Grove. Last week, our show was about life after death, where we touched on AI advancements and how they're used to honor the dead. Today, we're delving deeper into AI, what it is and why you should jump on the wave with our special guest, Joshua Arma. Joshua is a talented computer scientist, product leader, serial entrepreneur and founder of Arma Studio. He has worked on innovative projects ranging from blockchain protocol development to high-performance software products for global brands in New York City, Atlanta, and Silicon Valley. Please welcome Joshua Armand. What's up? Hey, what's up? What's up? How y'all doing? Good, good, good. How you doing? I'm amazing. Always blessed. Always blessed. Yes, absolutely. Let me ask you, when did you fall in love with tech? You know, I fell in love with the concept of technology when I learned about the concept of math, and then I learned about how math applies to all these different things in life, and technology being one of them. So it just really got me inspired to think more of it from a like tinkering standpoint, like how I could you know, build a computer or play my video games. As a kid, all that stuff was a heavy influence on me, so it allowed me to like have an experimental sandbox. Mm-hmm. So when did you first... like? get in like was there tech at your school was it a parent was it an uncle no nah, nah, I, I owe my whole my whole everything to my mother my mother who, who was a nurse basically uh was is was very big on ensuring i was in a lot of programs because she had to work 16 hour shifts as a nurse and she had to keep me busy as a young you know adolescent so between boy scouts sports in all these other programs I was in, Boys and Girls Club, I got exposed to a lot of STEM education, mm. which at home, my mom kept me 
you know, reading, right? So at first it was just reading. Like I was reading like in summer youth programs where in, at the library where I was from in New Jersey, they had these like reading programs. So every year I would read like two to 300 books, you know, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not a lot of books <laughs> because it wasn't like dictionary size books. These oh. are like, you know, kid friendly <laughs> books and okay. some of them advanced. But it was the fact that my mom had my reading, my reading speed up at a young age and my writing speed up at a young age that it allowed me to transfer that into like other subjects. So when I, the fundamentals helped me get to the next level, like my literacy understanding, my literacy skills basically helped me position my tech understanding. So then when I got into tech, it was more about uh, just being able to stay, like, cool. You know, I felt like being, uh, you know, playing video games, as an example, was, like, the thing me and all my, all my friends did. So right. video games was, like, the first major exposure. I had all the, you know, video game systems, Dreamcast, Atari, PlayStation, you know, everything, Game Boy, anything you could think. I was, like, a Not professional a professional video game collector, right, okay. as a young kid. So that really helped me to, like, understand, you know, just graphics. Forget computers, right? The, the idea of watching a television and then using that same television for playing video games didn't expose me to, like, computers, right? And then as I got into school, I was always able to, like, kind of be, like, ahead of the class in terms of my understanding. So therefore, like, when I got into, like, you know, tech, is more so about, like, at first just, like, robotics right and learning how to like work with a robot or just like working with like languages like java and then when i got exposed to that kind of information i didn't really understand how to apply it but i just knew like okay i know how to it's like math i knew how to do algebra i knew how to code Mm -hmm. it wasn't really about being in tech it's just more about it was one of my skills in stem so stem education or steam education Science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, mm-hmm. you know, the STEAM education I was exposed to really helped me to, like, be grounded in multiple disciplines. So I had more creative talents that I wanted to pursue. So it wasn't until I got older that I realized, like, like wow, you know, I need to start using my skills. Mm-hmm. So what is a computer scientist exactly? So the trajectory of a software developer, you mm-hmm. know, going from the idea of, you know, being a programmer to being a software engineer to being a computer scientist is just the career path you could take. So for me, you know, I was a founder of a, of a couple startups and, you know, I've been programming since I was like eight, right? And I'm 29 now. So, you know, about 21 years of exposure to coding, right? But coding is just knowing how to work with languages right. where programming is solving problems, right? So when you start the program, you start to get into, you know, app development or back-end systems or cloud engineering, all these things basically are how we build modern software. So you could choose two different paths. One is a management path, and one is an individual contributor path. So when you start going up the career ladder a little bit, you go from programmer, let's say you have a computer science degree, you know, you, you graduate, you get your, your first exposure to tech, you typically go into uh, becoming a, a software developer, right? And you're working at a company. Mm-hmm. And then they have these different levels of software engineering, like level one, two, three. This is how to classify your level of talent. So the the top dog is a principal software engineer. This is like the person that's essentially like head honcho of the code base, right? Okay. And the other side is engineering managers. So for me, I just decided I wanted to stay in front of a computer. I didn't want to be a manager. You know, that wasn't my goal. So Right. You don't want to talk to people too much. <laughs> I, I like I like the idea of being a leader, but I don't like the idea of being someone's manager. Like I do okay. have employees, but like I try to like create a very 
autonomous organization in the sense that I'm not like controlling people, right? Right, not so, micromanaging. You know, my decisions affect others, but they don't necessarily. I don't want to be like their manager, micromanaging them. So right. the reason I brought all that up is because a computer scientist is really working on uh, problems. But at the same time, they're creating algorithms and they're building, they're creating the innovation that other software developers use. So as an example, when you want to do like research and development, you get a computer scientist. Mm. When you want to build an app, you get a software developer. Okay. So it's just going deeper into the weeds, right? So at some point in my career, I realized like my passions for R&D, it wasn't for just like maintaining software apps or, you know, being a CTO, which I've tried all these different you know, hats mm-hmm. as a founder and also as a professional. And at some point, I just got to the to realization in my career that research and development is where I want to stay. So typically, when you think about, you know, the idea of an engineer, you need a certification in the real world. You can't call yourself a civil engineer without a certification or a license. Okay. So a lot of times in software, people are software engineers without the license. Right. So for me, it was just the evolution of going from, well, where do I see my future? And that was being exposed to the science of technology. So computational science, uh, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of, you know, the theory in computers that is more important sometimes than building stuff. So when you learn all the theoretical side of computers, you learn about how it affects the research. So, for instance, a lot of the research that we're using in tech comes from computer scientists. Mm. And it's typically in academia or at big tech companies. So if you don't have exposure to that level of of colleagues, you're not going to be able to always be a contributor at that level. So for me, that was like my main focus. So when I went to Silicon Valley, my main focus was m- mainly getting deeper into uh, computer science as an actual career. Like that was like my, 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 my destination. I'm like, I found what I'm passionate about, which is I went from building apps to now doing innovation and research right. where I can lead R&D, which to me is like so important because when you think about every company, they're constantly investing in R&D. Mm-hmm, that's facts. So that's where, like, for me, I work with CTOs to implement their R&D strategy or help them come up with one. So that's where, for me, as a computer scientist, I'm expressing my creativity by being to do R&D or research and development. Mm-hmm. Now, try to explain this, this world of AI. So I've had many conversations with you about AI. I get it, but I'm pretty techy. It seems so complex. Like, what is AI and machine learning for those who don't know? Like, like you explain it to a five-year-old. Like, how would you explain it to a kid? Like what AI is exactly. Yeah, so you know, the version of AI that we have today is a is a broad concept. So instead of going into every aspect of AI, I'll just give you the, the general understanding of it. AI is just a way to go from automation to autonomy. To Okay, that five year old not gonna know what you <laughs> Well, of course they're not gonna understand those words, right? Right, right. What, Break but, that but, down. but 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 we should but five year olds should understand the difference between automation, like they use a car that's in manual or a car that's an automated drive. Okay. So when you think about technology, you, you use your phone as an automated system, right? Mm-hmm. So a five-year-old understanding tech or understanding AI is really just about them understanding data, right? Which a lot of kids don't understand. So AI is essentially just a building block. It's like Legos, right? Okay, Legos. But instead of you needing to build the blocks on your own, the idea of AI is that it's automated. It's going to build them for me. Exactly. You don't need to, you know, if you think about code as uh-huh. building blocks, the the Legos, you have to program them and create them yourself. Okay. AI, the, the whole concept is you don't create the algorithm. The algorithm is able to create itself. Okay. So that's why the, the Lego example is the best example for AI because essentially we're playing with logic and logic represents ideas or it represents systems. And for a five-year-old, 
they they understand basic stuff such as like Hot Wheels, right? right. Like race car track. You you have to build your own race car track okay. and then use your Hot Wheel car to like you know race around it. Uh-huh. Well, you know a lot of Hot Wheels tracks that you build yourself, they're automated. Some of them you don't actually have to you know you use them. Click yourself. them in, click click click. So yeah, is that it, like the automated process. So that that's the first entry point of AI is just understanding that automation is the dominant factor of where we're going, and okay. is this the transformation of automation into autonomy? And it's important that you understand the difference because autonomy is like a self-regulated system, like a system that could control itself. And right, right. automation, it could it could not work. So, like, let's right. say you have like an automated door, but the door slams on everybody when you open it. Right. It doesn't know the difference between a person trying to get in or go, trying to get out. It's just mm-hmm. always opening and closing. Right. So we have a lot of automated doors, right? right. You, you go, you click the handicap button, right. it opens up. So for a five year old, it'll be like, hey, walk to this door. Click this button, the door opens up. Mm-hmm. AI would be have sensors and it would recognize who's trying to walk in. So somebody has to program that though, like anything autonomous. Like at first, there's people who program it to continuously be autonomous, like work on its own. Is that correct? Yeah, the evolution is going from understanding that automation is a repetitive process, where autonomy is based on data mm. and is is based on creating patterns in data. So, for instance, like I said, an automated door, as an example, a sliding door that opens and closes, it has sensors, right? So, right now, we think about coding, people are creating a handicap button for the door to open. Right. And the idea of the evolution of AI is like a a, a, a sliding door that's opening and closing mm-hmm. with sensors. Because every time you get near it, it opens and closes. Mm-hmm. And unless, it's, unless some type of trigger in the system tells it to shut down, it's going to constantly open and close whenever you get walk near it. Okay. Where uh, a handicap button on a door, that door's not going to open unless you click that button mm-hmm. or you have to do it manually. Okay. So that's like the best example of like a tangible physical representation of like the idea of AI, right? So we're going into this era where everything's going to be like a door with sensors, right? Where it's just constantly open and closing and then there's triggers that command mm-hmm. that actual system. Now, speaking of, you know, automations and whatnot, and why should black people care about AI? Like, how, how does that affect us that we are not at the table or, or we are at the table, you know, in, in this world of AI? Representation of AI is like the same thing in content creation, right? For a long time, the systems that we're creating content on, we didn't build. So, for instance, in the next wave of tech, AI represents the next generation of creators. So, whether you're creating content or whether you're supporting content creators, people in the black community are always being left out of digital transformation. It's kind of like gentrification. Mm. So in a, you digital know, ge- gentrification. So yeah, basically yeah. digital transformation is the concept that we're all being a part of the experiment, but we're not the ones experimenting, you know? So that's the best example of like how we're representation. We're experimented on still. Right, right. right. So I, I think a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of things in real estate correlate to digital transformation because like redlining in real estate, you know, they basically created a, way to use zip codes as a way to dictate who who was able to purchase in certain homes in certain areas where in tech is not redlining but it's you know you know customer profiling they're able to profile you based on your data so because of the ai is going to be the key driver of what determines your credit score or if you get accepted for a loan or not or if you get accepted to certain schools or not you know what i mean so yeah. people are using algorithms instead of humans to determine your qualifications and that that immediately puts us in a situation where the bias nature of algorithms 
is the reason why we need to be at the table because we need to be a part of the engineering that's going into these systems. Got you. That's deep. We got to be a part of it. We have four tickets to give away, y'all, for the upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie presented by Blacks in Tech LA Chapter. Thank you, Blacks in in Tech. We appreciate the tickets. How could you get a pair of tickets? LA listeners, call us now, 1-800-920-1580, and be caller number five and caller number eight. See what we did there? See what we did there? (laughs) 1-800-920-1580 to claim your pair of tickets for special showing of Wakanda Forever this Wednesday, November 9th at The Grove in Los Angeles. We'll announce the winners at 12.50, so make sure to stay tuned. We have been talking here with Josh Armand. I'm Cassie Vets on Talk Tech to Me, KBLA Talk 1580. Stay tuned. We've got a lot to talk about. Welcome forward. You're now tapped into Talk Tech to Me Uncut. I'm your host, Cassie Betts, on KBLA Talk 1580. 1-800-920-1580 is the number to Talk Tech and for Wakanda Forever tickets sponsored by Blacks in Tech, the L.A. chapter. I'm in the studio with Joshua Arma, founder of Arma Studio. Okay, so we were talking about AI. What are the benefits of AI? The quick and short version of the benefits is that we no longer will need to rely on apps. The replacement of apps is going to be voice AI, like Siri. How you use Siri to say, you know, give me directions to my location mm-hmm. or order this, you know, order order food from, you know, Uber Eats mm. or even using Siri to, like, find out information. That's the evolution of replacing apps. So there's, like, a huge push right now to replace the user experience of the of the app world. And the reason that's important for people to understand is that AI, when you could just say what you want, it's like a, I could basically, you know, declare it and it'll happen. And yeah. the AI fulfills that service from some type of, you know, back-end system with a real-world application. So, for instance, the be- the best benefit in business is that we will no longer need a website. Mm. It'd be more about discovery and search. So, as people search Google, in the future, it won't. you want to go to Google.com, you just Ask Google's assistant or Siri what you want. So when you think about that, it's going to make the world more human-centered, meaning we'll rely more on humans for human needs, but we won't really need a lot of the labor side of human output. So that means, like, when you think about, like, labor-intensive tasks, for instance, like, people that are doing record keeping with file cabinets, that's been replaced. Mm. You know, the idea of a cashier or certain aspects of jobs that are let's just say beneath the human intelligence we will no longer delegate that to humans Mm -hmm. so the idea of it is that we'll be able to upskill and level up people Mm -hmm. but the downside is that a lot of the work that is in the real world relies on a service jobs that exist so therefore the benefit is that we'll be able to have more mental capacity to do higher Value work, but at the same time, people need to be retrained and upskilled right. to do that work. Right. So that's like that the, the transition of you know laborers to the knowledge economy, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the biggest benefit is just the future of work and how it applies to everyday tasks. Right. And then the ba- the basic example of voice AI, like Siri, being a real world example right now i'm here for that because i'm always talking to siri like that's my home girl like she my assistant and she don't hear me <laughs> oh yeah i can tell <laughs> i'm always asking her to do too much she's like i don't do that yet cassie <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> um, 
my product manager says I do too much. So with mm-hmm. AI, I'll be able to have my own little personal assistant um, uh-huh. at all times, 24, 24-7, <laughs> to do whatever, to book my hotels, to book my flights. That's what I need in life. All right. So what jobs and career paths are available? And what are like the salary potentials in this space of AI development? So people losing jobs, what are we getting upskilled for? So ultimately, I think that the number one thing that people need to understand is that like places that rely on uh, data will rely on data scientists or data analysts. So the career field to really go after is the idea of, you know, how do you get into data driven work or data, data informed work? So a data analyst may, you know, help to run analysis for a business like a hospital because you know hospitals are not all nonprofit, so they may need like healthcare informatics. Healthcare informatics is a huge career field that relies on data analysis, business intelligence. You know, in marketing, advertising, you know, people rely on BI analysts to do, you know, a lot of the analysis and statistics for their market research or for their audience demographics, like a radio station, for example. Right. They they need people that understand analytics to work inside of that business. Right. And then the level up from that is like a data scientist. okay, or a data engineer, data, data scientists help business people make decisions through data and they tell stories with data where data engineers do all the digital plumbing Mm -hmm. to help people deal with the data. Now these careers, data analyst, data engineer, data scientist, these three aspects, you know, they can range from 80,000 a year to 200 grand a year. Mm -hmm. The difference is, are you working in an industry that is going to be around 10 years from now. So in the past decade, more jobs have been created that have never existed in the past 50 years. Facts. And that's where the industries haven't necessarily adopted these careers. So think about it like this. UX designers don't necessarily work at schools. Right. But they work for ed tech. Right. So, right. so when you think about the value of a UX designer until it gets embedded into the education system at the ground level, meaning K through 12, it becomes a nuance to try to push it on young people. But it can be taught early so that when people become adults, they're positioned in that career field. The same way with data scientists, data analysts, and data engineers. These career fields theoretically have not been around conversationally for a long time. Right. So the idea of a data analyst, people know as a statistician, someone that's very good at statistics. But anyways, the point I'm making is that being able to like get into data isn't the first step, like making data your best friend and understanding how to work with data. You know, when we think of a data, think of a spreadsheet and think about the text that's in that spreadsheet so that you can be able to understand how to turn that data into a statistical output. That would be like a good skill to build that that right there alone helps you open up opportunities for you know logical reasoning or even just applying math mathematical formulas to data and all this really comes down to like for instance calculating the value of predictive analytics so for instance one big skill that is going to be huge is being able to do predictive analytics that's predictive one predictive analytics what is that exactly so it's just hmm. the idea that you could take a historical record mm-hmm. and then you could use that historical record to de- determine patterns in that historical record and then determine future events so ah. right now we do that in financial forecasting right. so Marketing a lot of a lot that. of financial analysts for instance they have to forecast the trajectory of a business mm-hmm. based on their P&L or their profit and loss statement or their you know income statement when you think about like climate change if you want to study if you're into like environment or or, or 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 you know different types of like you know infrastructure planning you know a lot of people want to be like city urban planners so they will have to learn 
about the impacts of natural disasters in their you know uh demographic and in their municipality the reason that's important because that right there learning that skill about predictive analytics can help you determine how to create solutions to prevent people from catastrophe so like for instance when hurricanes hit certain (laughs) islands or coastal cities people have to be given emergency response systems that work and a lot of times it's too late to help some people that choose to stay so being able to predict Right. Or help forecast ways to still reach out to people through not just analytics, but through solutions. You tie that to data, right? Because you yeah. want to be able to understand, okay, 80% of our population, for instance, in Hurricane Maria may have evacuated and 20% stayed. The 20% that stayed, who's dead, who's still alive, mm. what kind of resources needed to locate bodies. These things require <laughs> predictive morbid, analytics. But, okay. <laughs> but but it's, <laughs> a, it, you know, working in that kind of space is like an example of like, like how data is important though, right? right? Because you're helping stakeholders get information so that they can make decisions with it. Okay. Let's talk about something a little more fun other than <laughs> the morbidity that you just discussed. Um, what are you working on right now? I know you're doing some games, some gaming. What what's Arma Studios working on right now? So Arma Studio, I launched, you know, you know, within the last year and a half as a game studio focused on, you know, building out, you know, the future of entertainment through media, right? And gaming is right now the biggest driver of the metaverse. The concept that, you know, we'll live in an immersive reality which is extended reality, XR, right? Mm -hmm. So AI lives in that space heavily. So because of my background in AI, I saw that as a way to build consumer products in the form of games where I could also do my AI research. So if you're not funded by, let's say, a big corporation, government, or academia, it's very hard to get AI research off the ground. Right. Very expensive. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. But gaming has been a leader in AI machine learning for decades. Okay. And that's one of the low-hanging fruits for me in my research. So it's more fun. I decided to, (laughs) you know, not use people as a a data set, Uh but more so to create... Uh, AI systems inside of games so that I can release products to everyday people so that I can understand where the world is going, not only in entertainment, but in consumer behavior and human behavior. And gaming for me, it was like really the biggest thing. So right now I have a you know game I'm launching called African Village. African Village is the concept that we're basically taking a tribal experience and turning it into a 3D mobile game. And you'll be able to play with your own character. Our character story basically helps you to live the life of a villager that allows you to go from a child to an elder through a simulation in a mobile game. And as you build your character, you're able to experience multiple things in the African tribe. That's hot. When we come forward, more Talk Tech to Me Uncut with Joshua Arma here on the Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. We're here with Joshua Arma talking about AI, computer scientists. Let's talk about ethical concerns in the AI community. Yeah, sure. So I think a quick mention of that is just that like right now, the biggest problem with AI is that our data is not represented in any of the algorithms that's being used for the systems we rely on. So as an example, a lot of problems that exist in the black community, such as like surveillance and data privacy, we're not training the AI algorithms with our data. So right now, there's been a huge push to get more young people in AI Mm. to essentially fight that problem. And one of the best ways to do that is to start in our local community, like in South L.A., in terms of, like, exposing kids to how to upload their data, how to manage their data, and most importantly, how to work with these systems to be able to start 
building solutions or creating alternative systems that we can rely on. One example of this is black Twitter. You know, we use, everyone uses Twitter, right. but then we created our own space on Twitter called black Twitter. Yeah. And when you think about black Twitter, you can just type that in Google uh-huh. and a whole bunch of data pops up. Uh-huh. That's one example of how you could profile black people. Mm. You know, you can just take the word black Twitter, profile black people with a hashtag and then say, this correlates to all these problems in the African-American community, violence, you know, sex, you know, consumer shopping, everything, mm-hmm. right? So people rely on that. And that's one of the things I think that on the other side of the fence, working against that problem, creating things for the future work and learning and everything else, we need to come up with different hashtag movements that can help us profile better scenarios. And that's where young people could come in as in the sense of them starting hashtag movements. So for instance, uh, you know, Free, you know, like every right right now, when someone gets locked up, they they will say free that person, right? right? They'll create a free that person type hashtag. Or when George Floyd died, everyone was like, you know, no justice, no peace, or I can't breathe. That helped profile social justice on the internet. Gotcha, That's like gotcha. an example of an alternative system. So when we use our you know tools like our phones and content for power, we can create a new data set that can help these systems profile us correctly and not just identify us for some of the garbage that you know we're associated with i appreciate that i appreciate that the blacks in tech foundation is the largest community of black people in technology in the technology industry through community focused activities events and outreach the blacks in tech bit foundation is stomping the divide by providing resources guidance networking and opportunities for members to share their expertise and advance their careers the la chapter of blacks in tech is sponsoring two pairs of tickets for our listeners to attend a special screening of the upcoming blockbuster sequel to black panther wakanda forever who's the winners who won robert white and marshall shepherd thank you to everyone who called shout out shout out to robert white and marshall shepherd i hope i see you guys there um thank you to everyone who called in and congratulations to our listeners who won we look forward to seeing you at the grove this wednesday more talk tech to me uncut when we come forward on kbla talk 1580 we're here with Joshua Armand. We were talking about your game, African Village. Tell us about it. When is it going to launch? What's up with that? So right now, you know, we're launching this uh, publishing company called Ujama Gaming, and it's going to be released under our publishing company. And basically, African Village is going to be the first title. December 2nd, during Art Basel, we're going to be doing a soft launch to let people start beta testing the game. And then next year, we're going to position it in the marketplace. Um, Ujama Gaming, Ujama, which which is one of the days of Kwanzaa, represents cooperative economics. So right now we're using gaming as a way to go after the media space. And, um, you know, African Village is one example of taking culture, like I'm African, my family's from Ghana, and and taking culture and digitizing it. Mm. So that's the inspiration behind it is that, you know, I looked at games and I'm like, wow, why is there no game for African culture? Right. So I built, I created one. So you're making one. You made, made one. I made one. That's a mobile game that people will be able to download and play next year. But we're going to start early beta testing in Art Basel to like get feet, early feedback. That's super dope. That's super dope. Okay, so how can people follow you? How can they be? How can they get on? How can they be on team on the team? <laughs> so everything is just Arma dot Studio A R M A H dot Studio on the internet. In terms of my website and on social media, it's Black tech genius and then for my research uh you look at my github which is joshua arma j-o-s-h-u-a-a-r-m-a-h as github.com forward slash joshua arma 
where I'll be publishing some of my research, where you can find, like, you know, my code or my source code repositories in case you're in- interested in learning about how to get into programming or coding, you need to use GitHub as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a uh, way to do that. And that's how you can find me. All right. That's great. Um, you can also follow me at InstaBets on Instagram. You can follow our talk show here at Talk Tech to Me Pod on IG. To learn more about Missile Made in South LA, our boot camps, and hopefully we'll be having an AI boot camp soon with uh, our Moss Studios. <laughs> you can go to Missla.org. Tune in next week as we talk tech with IT maven Monica Parker. Thank you for kicking it with us here on the Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. But first, I want to talk about the creative reckoning of writers on the backstory with Mache Duffy. Make sure to stay tuned to listen in to what Mache Duffy is talking about. My producer's over here trying to tell me something. Girl, tell me. <laughs> I got a minute left. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. Shout out again to the winners of the Wakanda Forever tickets, Robert White and Marshall Shepard. Look for me at the opening, at the screening, because you know I'm going to be there in my Wakanda Forever outfit. Mm-hmm. Come see me. <laughs> Are you going? You, go? you want tickets, don't you? Am I invited? Uh, I don't know. Let me, let me talk to Blacks in Tech. Let's see what they say. Let's see if we can get some more tickets. I'm black. <laughs> you black? You in Tech? My hashtag is Black Tech Genius. Black Tech Genius. Oh, we're talking about hashtags, okay? Black Tech Genius is the hashtag. Follow it and learn all about how to become a computer scientist and AI. This has been Talk Tech to Me Uncut, pushing the envelope of tech one keystroke at a time. Peace out.